Hey there, how you doing? My name is David, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of 6-8 Church here in Vancouver, Washington. What you're about to hear is a message from our Sunday morning gathering, and we hope it encourages and inspires you on your journey to be more like Christ. For more information about 6-8 Church, visit 6-8church.com. That's the number 6 and the number 8 church.com. Good morning, guys. How you guys doing? Everybody have a good Christmas? Seems like half of us survived. We had a good Christmas this year. We're finally trying to figure out the, uh, I don't know what to call it, the, uh, the gauntlet of being at every family gathering, but not being incredibly exhausting after the fact. So I feel like this year, pretty good. It's pretty awesome. Um, I want to talk a little bit today about motive. Um, I feel like it's a good a good topic with being Christmas and just the motive behind God sending Jesus. Um, kind of basic, I guess, but at the same time, you know, Paul writes that it's not tedious in him writing these things because for us, it's a safeguard uh, to always to always live in the simplicity of the gospel and to not have that be something that we move on from in a sense of, yeah, I already know that, whatever, what's the big deal? Um, it's something that really becomes who we are and it's something that I really think you can, you can be mindful of and appreciative of every single day. Um, so why did, why did God send his son? I have, you know, it's to show the world who he really is, you know, to be the to basically, I mean, if, if, you know, at that point in time, if, if humanity had everything right, you know, then I really don't think there would be a point in sending Jesus, right? So did humanity have everything right? Probably not. If they were doing everything the way they were supposed to, or if they had understanding of who God was um, and the way they were living, then there would be no point in Jesus coming. So if you think about it from a simple standpoint, like obviously there was something wrong in a sense, or unclear to where Jesus had to come and, and be the visible image of who God is. Um, and also to show the world the reason he created mankind. So not just to show the world who he is, but to show the world and to, and to redeem, I guess, and, or to reveal our nature and who, and who we were created to be as if sin had never entered the garden, or as if Adam and Eve had never eaten from the tree. Um, to bring back his people into their created value, to redeem, to restore, and it says, you know, to save that which was lost. And so Jesus says that, you know, he came to save that which was lost. Um, he didn't say who. Obviously, he saved, he came to save us, but he came to save the kingdom. He came to save our ability to know him. That was lost in the garden uh, with, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree. They were cut off from, from who they really were, and they became sin conscious, they became selfish, they became living for themselves instead of living in community or in communion with God. Pretty, pretty basic, right? But at the same time, it's very important to understand the correlation between Genesis and then coming into the Gospels, that there was an original intent from God, and you see that, and then man fell, and a lot of stuff happened, right? There's a ton of stuff that happened, and then Jesus came 
to, to bring us back to that place as if none of that had ever happened in a sense of the stain. There's always a place to look back and, and see it as a reminder or to look and learn from it, but it's, it's in a sense not who we are as far as, far as the failures and, and, the, and the difficulties of, of man that they, they created for themselves living apart from him. So, so then that leads me to so Jesus. So why did Jesus live the way he did? Um, a lot of people, it's like, well, you know, Jesus was God, so it, was, it became this easy thing. And there's a lot of scripture to back that up. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. John 1.18 says that no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, says uh, who at God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he came as the exact representation. And then, of course, his, the whole purpose was to purge the sins because they didn't belong. That's not who we were created to be. We were never created to live in deception. You know, as Stefan said, we were never created to, to have to have difficulties in a sense that derive from lack of understanding. Because Jesus says in the world you'll have trouble. You know, in the world you have tri tribulation. Um, but I have overcome the world. So it's, he's not promising that we're never going to have difficulties, but we were not created to have difficulties as a result of our lack of understanding of who God is. So I've, so I've, some of you have heard this, may have heard this statement. Um, Jesus, Jesus was fully man and fully God. And so I kind of was like interested um, as to where that specifically was called out in Scripture, and there is actually nowhere in the Bible that specifically says that. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting, and while I, I don't really have a problem with this statement, um, I've just heard it said a lot, um, which is totally true. Um, but I think it's it's kind of interesting. So like a couple a couple of scriptures that like where I, I get where that came from. Like John one, one through three says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Then Philippians two, six through eight says, Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So those are pretty well-known scriptures, right? So it makes sense why we got the whole fully God, fully man thing. Um, I've just had conversations over the years where I feel like I've been misinterpreted in my stance on what that actually means, and I kind of come to the realization where I, I finally understand why. Um, 
without sounding blasphemous or anything, because he was fully God, fully man, but I feel like the tendency of, of us as humans and through our upbringing is that it's more like he was mostly God and barely man. And what that does, unfortunately, is it takes the scale of what is supposed to be like this, and it puts more emphasis on the fact that he was all this and barely man. So then when he's talking to us, telling us who we are, we can't really hear him because we're like, yeah, but you're mostly God. You're crazy. You're amazing. You have all this power. I'm just a human being. And when in reality, it's supposed to be a balanced scale. And But I feel like people hear me as saying he was barely God, mostly man. And that's why there's this kind of argument in a sense, and I'm not trying to say that. Um, but that's kind of, this is kind of the emphasis of, of, of what I'm trying to get across today is who Jesus really was. And if we, if we don't understand who he was um, without misinterpreting that, that statement of fully man, fully God, it makes it really difficult to believe what he says. Like when he talks about who we are and what we can do because we're in him, there's still this tendency to, to identify with the fallen man and then kind of just tune it out and be like, yeah, I can't, I can't do the same things as you, Jesus. I can't, I can't, anything I ask believing, it will be done. Like how many of us actually have taken that and been like, yeah, well, this is obviously the truth, right? But because there's been so many things to where life has kind of spoken louder than what Jesus says. And there's like this disconnect between our ability to walk just like him and our ability to just walk like the fallen man. And, and Jesus is coming to say, hey guys, the scales have been tipped. I'm trying to bring them back up to where you can walk completely man, but you can walk with the fullness of God, as Ephesians said, not lacking anything, to walk just as he did. And that's, I mean, that's like, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. Like how many, how many of us have actually like looked in the mirror and said, I can walk just like Jesus. I can walk just as he did just as he did like completely like bring it all the way up to where you can walk just that would seem like it's blasphemy almost like whoa brother what are you saying you're perfect it's like i didn't say anything about me i was talking about the power in me and i opened myself up to that possibility and motive is is so important with that because um it's it's really our ability to receive um and, and what we believe is possible, it, what, it's what enables us to live our motive, right? What was your motive in doing that, right? So whatever you believe about the situation is really as far as you can go, as far as your motive was. Um, so what I've kind of gathered over my, um, just my time as being a Christian, as, you know, Jesus did everything as a man in perfect relationship with God. So is that, is that statement hard to believe, or does it make sense? Any questions or comments? So Jesus did everything as a man in perfect relationship with God. So, and I'm not expecting there to be some kind of like, you know, give us Barabbas kind of statement or whatever, like, kill him. I just want to make sure that I'm not, like I said, I've had conversations in the past where I... I kind of miss, I'm, there's a misinterpretation of what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to downplay Jesus. I'm actually trying to bring us up to where we belong as being equal heirs to the throne, to walk just like him. A servant cannot be greater than his master, right? So we're not trying to raise ourselves. Go ahead, Peter. Okay, cool. Yay.
it's gonna be good. So this is kind of interesting because there's a couple scriptures where I, I never really thought about them. We've both heard them, but I'd never like kind of thought thought about these two scriptures in conjunction to where like kind of solidifying the point I'm trying to make about about Jesus. Um, so James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. So I thought that was kind of cool because it kind of goes with what Stefan was saying last, or two weeks ago about God pushing trials and, and giving us adversity um, to test us. But it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. It's kind of cool. But then it says in Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, yet without sin. So I'm thinking about that, and it's like, okay, so God cannot be tempted, but Jesus was. So I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm thinking about that, and it's like, why is that? And it's because he became... He became vulnerable. He became a bondservant. He laid his divinity aside and did not consider it something he could be, that could be used for his advantage. He literally said it over here and said, I'm not going to use this. I'm going to do everything that is available to us. I'm going to show you guys everything that is available to us and the, the image of God and the created value, what is possible as a man. And in the face of all this adversity, to be like rejected, to be to be, have all, I mean, I know there's kids, so, so, all, everything that was done to him, he was done to him as a man, but he was born of God, he was completely without sin from the beginning, but then Jesus says, that's why you must be born again, so like, there's this, this crazy, I just see this connection, and he's just bringing us up, he's bringing us up, he's bringing us up, and we've been so beaten down by life, we've been so beaten down by the liar, we've been told all these things about us, and Jesus says, no, this is who you are. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's like, man, it gets me excited because I feel like sometimes if we're not careful, the Christian life can seem overwhelming and we can feel powerless because the world around us is like, it's like ever closing in. There's so much darkness, right? But man, Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Jesus is the expressed image of the Father. Like... The, the, man, the hostility and the persecution that was given to this man, yet he never changed. The best that he could say is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As he's hanging on this tree, and the Pharisees are mocking him, saying, if you're the Son of God, save yourself. And isn't it amazing that's the best that they can understand? If I was up there, I would use my power for my advantage. I would save myself. And he's like, I'm up here for you. I'm up here to save you, even though you don't understand, one day you will. For all that come to the knowledge of truth, like he gives that, he leaves that door wide open. In the face of being rejected, openly and vocally rejected by the people that really should have known who he was better than anybody. I mean, it's, it's, that's about as deceived as it gets. So I, so if Jesus did everything as only God, it would be impossible to follow him because we are not God. And I feel like that's kind of been a thing. Like I, I just always saw Jesus as like this thing that is unattainable because I was basing it off my experience and my life, not his life 
and his experience and what he made available because he wanted to be with the Father. And he sent me a helper. It's like, and this is not, I mean, if this sounds, if this sounds basic and elementary, then awesome, you're in a good place. Um, but like I said, it's not tedious in me reminding you of these, of you these things because for you it's a safeguard. It's really the, it's, it's air in your lungs. It's, it's the cleansing of your conscience. It's the purifying of your heart. It's what allows us to walk with clean hands. It's so important that we never, never step away from this, the simplicity of the gospel. So Acts 10, 36 through 38 says, the word which God, God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word which you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So at this point, does anybody have any questions or any comments so far? So I kind of, based on that, I want to, it might be a little long-winded, but I really want to read John 14. This, this section of scripture, I feel like it's like this like moment where like everything, as the disciples, like moments, if you've ever had a moment where everything just kind of stops, and it's like this tunnel, the sound cuts out, everything except for Jesus' voice. Like he's just having this moment where he's really like giving them a picture of, of what's gonna happen. And where they are, they don't quite understand it, obviously. But as, as if you go back and read it, you're like, wow, this is crazy. Like he's really, he's really passing, passing the baton. Um, so I don't have it on the screen. I'm just gonna read it from my tiny red lettered Bible here. Um, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not, where, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is sufficient for us, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me this is important. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. 
and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you, orphans. I will come to you. So good. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. And that at that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So I think that's crazy how he just, like what you're saying, Russ, he just kind of talks about bringing us in right there. There's like, I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. It's just like, what? I don't even know. Like, how do you picture that? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, to be clear, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him, and we will come to him, and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world that gives, but do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Man, that's just so, so amazing. So it goes on in John 15. Uh, Jesus gives an illustration about abiding in him. And it made me think of First John two, three through six, uh, says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. I feel like it's been backwards. Like, my, my whole life it's been to show God that you love him, you'll keep his commandments. It says if you love him, you will keep his commandments. So what's the issue? Is it, is it lack of ability to keep his commandments or lack of love? 
it's not supposed to be this striving and struggling thing. It's supposed to be like, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You've already known him, so therefore you keep his commandments. Not this is how you prove to God and prove to the world you keep his commandments. You just try your best to love one another. It's like, no, you, you know who God is. He has loved you first. You become the love of who he is. And from there you have the perspective and you keep his commandments. They're not burdensome. It's not a burden to pray for the sick and see, see, the, see the sick recover. It is not a burden. So it says, I, it says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That would seem like it would be a condemning thing. But if you, if you just think about it, it just means that you don't know him. It's not about being a hypocrite or being a fake or being a fraud or whatever. It's, it's more of this is how we know we know him is we, if we keep his commandments, if we have the fruits of the Spirit, if we're walking in the fullness of God. Like if, if there's a disconnect there, it means that we don't know him. And the only thing that would get frustrated there is pride because there would be like this, no, I do know God. And it's like, well, it's pretty clear that you don't because there wouldn't be a rebuttal. It would be more of a repentant heart, a, a, a godly sorrow. Like it, Jesus lays it out very clear in the Beatitudes, what it means to follow him. And if there's, not, if there's an inability to walk those out, it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because you don't know completely what he says about you. You haven't let his presence come into your life, infiltrate your heart to a place to where your mind has been renewed. This same mind in you, the mind of Christ. It says that right before that section I read in Philippians. Have this same mind in you. The same exact mind that Jesus Christ had. Like that's just there's like he just leaves no room for like this like this separation, right? But I feel like the devil finds those little, those little cracks in our belief system and he puts a wedge in there and he just continues to, to grow the separation, grow the separation and just spread it out further and further so that to the point to where the idea of walking like Jesus is not even real. It's not even possible. Did God really say, I mean, really, come on, did he really say he'll do the same things as him? That anything you ask believing in prayer, he will do it? Did God really say that? Yes. I think he did, but man, isn't it crazy how over time that little crack through deception, through lies, through you're not enough, through you're not really forgiven, through you don't matter, you know, through God isn't pleased with you because you're not keeping his commandments, because you're not doing enough, all that stuff just all it does is get us more and more separated from God. So if it says, so I know him and does not keep his commandments as a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. There it is. So motive comes from understanding what is possible. That's why I, it's like, why, you know, I'm hardly talked about motive, but it's like really motive, our ability to love, our ability to live, to do things, it comes from understanding what is possible, what is available, right? If we don't believe that we can walk like Jesus, how could you possibly have the motive? 
to not love your life unto death, to give yourself, to lay your life down. If you don't understand that, how could you possibly do it? So it's so important, the Bible is so important and just in really stressing that we need to understand. We need to understand the will of the Lord. We need to understand the love of God. We need to be perfected in this. Otherwise, we are going to have a really hard time living this Christian life. I mean, and it's, it's not, you look and you read the Bible, it's, it was, or you go to a third, third world country, it's, there's much more severe persecution. Um, and if you see it as you see it as a war, right? A soldier doesn't wait for the war to train. The soldier trains, and then is ready for the war. If we just wait till the war comes, and then we're trying to get strength, if we just go go into this crazy third world country, and we don't have like this relationship with God to where we're sure of His will, we're sure of His love for us. We're sure that we can walk just as Jesus did. We're going to go into that untrained and we're going to be destroyed. And we'll be destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because those things are real. And I mean, my life is its so easy in a sense. And I don't think it's because I have the most amazing perspective. I think it's because I really don't have a lot that happens in a sense. Um, So, yeah, our motive is what determines how high we can fly. Or the ceiling above our head, depending on what we believe. Understanding that Jesus is the will of God toward the earth. Jesus is the will of God toward the earth will enable us to believe what he says about us. About who we are, what we can do, now that he has come. So I want to tell a story about a time where our life wasn't so simple and easy. I guess in regard to just struggles in life, you know, our life is, I won't say it's easy, but it's the, the things that we have to endure are pretty, pretty straightforward. Your average kind of, you know, go to work and come home and have young kids and do this, do that kind of thing. Um, so uh, in December of 2016, we, we, uh, Kami and I had been married for two and a half years. Elliot was six months old. Uh, my friend Tabby, who I've known through recovery um, for almost about 10 years now, uh, she was fighting with her daughter Janelle, and their relationship had become increasingly difficult to manage. And I'd known Janelle since she was a little, a little girl. Uh, Tabby um, wasn't in her life until she was about nine because of addiction. And so once, once Tabby got sober and they had a relationship again. It was really difficult. Her grandmother practically raised her. So there was this really interesting dynamic between the three of them because grandma stepped in and did everything right and mom messed up. And now mom was trying to earn back Janelle's trust and um, it wasn't working out. So I got to the point to where Janelle wanted to move out and move in with a friend. Um, so Tabby asked me if we would be willing to take her in. And we'd never done anything like that before. Um, so it was definitely a conversation. So after me and Kami talked it over, we said yes. We got pretty excited about it actually because it was a big deal for us. Um, so this was like December, like early December, like December 5th or something. Two days later, my friend Michael called me. 
Um, I know Michael through recovery. Ever since I've known him, he's been homeless. Uh, he, he comes and goes like I was a sponsor in AA, and then we'd like kind of be together for a while, do some stuff, do some steps, and then he'd just disappear. I went here from like six or seven months. And then he'd come back again, call me, hey, can you be my sponsor? Absolutely. And then he'd disappear, and it was like this with this thing. Um, and so he called me, and he said he needed a place to stay for a while to get out of the cold. And I was like, oh man, like at first I just kind of just didn't even really think. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry, I can't, can't do it. You know, like we just said, we just said yes to Janelle moving in and living with us, like taking on this thing, you know, with trying to heal their relationship and eventually have her go back and live with her mom. Um, and then Michael's like, dude, can I stay with you? And I'm like, oh man. And I just, and I, as soon as I hung up the phone, I was like, it was like, and it was that, it was one of the years where we had, I think we got the 14 inches overnight, and it was a really, it was a pretty bad winter. It was really cold in December, a lot colder than it was, or it is right now. So instantly I was like, you know what? So at the time we had a two bedroom, one bathroom house with an unfinished basement. And so Elliot had his bedroom, we had our bedroom, and then we had our living room, and then downstairs was basically storage. And there was, it was musty, it was cold, it wasn't like a, basement it was like just this area and so we already didn't have a place for Janelle and then Michael's like hey and I'm like oh man I talked to Kami and we decided to do it um, and up until that point um, we my friend Mark stayed with us for about six weeks before Elliot was born he's he slept on our couch it's actually a really cool uh, thing that, um, that happened there but then he ended up moving out after Elliot was born just because it was just a tough thing. Um, and then we had this uh, guy named, this man named Daniel who we met soaking wet after an AA meeting. He just showed up at the meeting and he was just soaking wet. He smelled terrible. Took him to pizza. We ended up having him come over to the state of our house, had him take a shower and get him new clothes, bought him boots and all this stuff, and then kind of sent him on his way. He was, he was on his way somewhere. Um, we'd done little things like that and we even had Michael stay with us uh, overnight a couple times, I think. So we had, you know, experience, but not at this level. And so I was like, okay, um, definitely like this is an opportunity to, to really see what I believe about Jesus and not from this kind of critical sense, but more of like, do I really want to live this Christian life, you know, lay my life down for a time. Um, in a pretty tough, tough situation, you know, a tough time for us having a newborn and Kami's still nursing and it's just this thing and our house isn't like really uh, accommodating of this, all these people living here, you know, it's kind of a, so yeah, we had it, we started out where Janelle slept on the couch and Michael was downstairs in the basement. Um, and then, oops, sorry, eventually we had it, we had them switch and we had Janelle downstairs in the basement. We did like a makeshift bedroom. We put up some curtains and we gave her a bed and a rug. We got our TV and stuff. So we kind of gave her a bedroom because that was our original intention. Like Janelle is going to stay with us for however long and Michael is just going to stay with us for a few, a few days to get out of the cold. Um, but winter lasts a little bit longer than three days. So that was the tough part. Um, Michael ended up living with us for five months and that time we preached the gospel, prayed for him, struggled with him and laughed with him. Uh, he stole things from our house and when we were, when we were gone he relapsed twice while he was living there. 
but all was forgiven. I believe that mercy triumphs over judgment. And uh, there was opportunity. And, you know, there's all the stuff that could be said. You know, Janelle was living there. Tabby knew, knew that Michael was staying with us. She knew Michael, too. And so, and then we had the baby. You know what I mean? Like, there's all kinds of stuff that it's like you're leaving yourself vulnerable to all this stuff. Yeah, and so did Jesus. And I just, I just knew this was an opportunity, and maybe it seems foolish to, to do that, especially when we, we caught him stealing stuff. Um, and he relapsed twice, and he, like, just like, I'm done, I'm leaving, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, you're not, you're not going anywhere. Because I knew he didn't understand who he was. Like, he didn't understand. That's why he's living the way he's living. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't have the love of God. You know, and it's, it's definitely a tough thing. So at the time, he also had two, two warrants um, that we convinced him to turn himself in for. The first one landed him in the Clark County Jail, where we bailed him out, and he did community service. Um, the second one, he just needed to give eight hours of community service, but unfortunately didn't show up to fulfill it. He had one for Clark County, one for Multnomah County, and he was terrified to turn himself in. It took a lot of conversation, a lot of talking to try to convince him why it was so important to just get rid of that thing, to get your debt cleared, to set the record straight so you can move forward. He, he just wanted to move on with his life and just have that thing looming over his head. And I was like, man, you're never going to be able to live if you don't get cleansed of that thing. I just saw a correlation you know, between the gospel and the sin, all that stuff. It just was like... And he just, he was so scared, you know. But he was able to, he finally was able to do it. But the second one, he never fulfilled his obligation, unfortunately. So throughout his time living with us, we treated, it, we treated him as if he were a part of our family. He ended up spending the Manning Christmas with us where he was given gifts just like the rest of the family. So he, I mean, he literally had, like he sat with us in the front room. We had our Christmas and we, he, he had presents. He got presence like everybody else and he was kind of weirded out by it you know and it's like I don't think he really knew how to receive it because he was so beaten down by everything um, unfortunately after five or four and a half months of living with us it came to the point where we told Michael if he couldn't show proof that he was actively looking for a job slash place to live that he had to move out so this whole time, Michael, pretty much, we had to try our most, we had to try our best to try to get him off the couch every day. Like our, when, he, when I say sleeping on the couch, he was right next to us. If we were going to watch TV, he was right here. We had no privacy. And he stayed there a lot. And so we had to make rules of like, you can't be home from this hour to this hour because I would go to work. And I didn't, just didn't want him to be there while Kami was there. And in, in any ways, I mean, he could, that, the point was to get him back on his feet, not just to say, hey man, you want to sleep on my couch for five months? It's like, hey man, we're going we're gonna to get you a life, a life that I believe God wants for you. you know. But he had to be willing to do something. So this was an incredibly difficult decision that I still question to this day, honestly. Um, Michael decided to leave, and I've only seen him a couple times since. And sadly, that's kind of the way the story, or where it's at, I can't say where the story ends with him, but that's where it is at right now. Kami's seen him a couple times, like in, in Walmart. I think Becky's seen him. Maybe, I don't know, have you seen him? Yeah, he just, he's like, he's a roamer. He's always been wandering. Like, I, last time I talked to him, he was, he was legitimately content with living, living behind Burgerville, 
in a tent and having snacks. Like he was just like, I'm doing good. And he has a little dog and that was it. And I'm like, okay, man, like I, I, it's just crazy. I just had so much, I just saw visions with him. Like he loved technology. I saw him as like an IT guy for a company, you know, just, just confident in his own place, you know, in a, in a marriage. I just, I just saw all this stuff and he just, he didn't, he had no vision for it. And why would he, right? Like how could he believe that stuff? You know what I mean? So that's basically kind of where it ended up, fortunately. His name is Michael Swenson. Um, if anybody's listening, if you've seen him, tell me to tell him to call Alex Rice. I would love to see him. I will never not love to see him. So Janelle lived with us for nine months. As I said before, her relationship with her mom wasn't going well. Um, like I said before, the relationship and the dynamic between Janelle and Tabby and then um, Grandma was was a tough one because Tabby didn't have a good relationship with her mom, and then it, and now Janelle doesn't have a good relationship with her mom. It's a really tough thing, and I'm, we're just right in the middle of this. Like I'm mediating all these different conversations, trying to help Tabby, trying to help Janelle, and not play favorites. Um, so she was 16 when she moved in. And she had a boyfriend the entire time. Yeah. Never had a daughter. Now I do. But at the time, I didn't have a daughter. And I got fast-tracked to 16 and a boyfriend. <laughs> Oops, didn't think that one through. Yeah, let's, let's, let's let her move in, right? Hey, let's do this. We can have, oh, hey, can my boyfriend come over? What? Why didn't I think about that? Maybe it was better that I didn't know. Tell you what, like it's like a tough, a tough deal. I learned so much from it though, because, because it's like, yeah, they would come, he would come over, and they would go downstairs, and hang out. We had to go through all kinds of different things that I didn't think. I thought I had so much more time to work on it, to be ready for it. Well, yeah, didn't work out that way. So, yeah, she. Uh, she was still getting in arguments with Tabby almost the entire time she was living with us. She made a plan to move in with her grandparents in Pendleton when she turned 18. So that was her plan. It's like, I'm not going back and living with my mom. I'm going and I'm moving out of, out of, out of the city. I'm not going to have a relationship with my mom. That was where she was at that point. It's done. I'm done. She said, maybe I can have a re an, an adult relationship with my mom later on. That was where she was. Um, so we were, we were also able to celebrate Christmas with her and we took her on our annual Manning family vacation to Kettle Falls, Washington. I guess it's not really annual anymore, but at the time it was. So that was kind of a cool deal to like um, take her on, that, on something like that, you know, involve her in Christmas, but then take her somewhere. You know, that, and at that time, Michael wasn't living with us anymore. So we were able to focus on Janelle. Um, and while on that vacation, we had a moment of clarity and we decided we were going to sell our house. Um, it was kind of a cool deal. We went on a, me and Kami went on a drive and we were just talking, just like something just felt off. I don't know. It was just, and we just talked and all of a sudden it was like, this is what we're going to do. And it was the, I knew it was the right thing. And then, uh, Russ and Becky generously offer, offered for us to move in with them while we looked for a new house. I'm sure it wasn't a, probably that much of a struggle for for Grammy, um, but it was actually an amazing thing for us because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have the place that we have today. Like it really gave us an opportunity to not have to deal with the 
buying and selling at the same time. We were able to sell our house, move out of our house, stage our house, and then move in with them, and we spent Christmas with them. Um, it was a cool deal, but unfortunately, uh, with that, um, so I'll go back, sorry. While Janelle had been living with us, Tabby had ended up finalizing her divorce and found a new boyfriend, so through that process, she was um, in the midst, in the process of a divorce. Um, and then when Janelle was living with us, she finalized it and she got a new boyfriend. And Tabby, or Janelle was not very happy with that either. Um, after a few months of dating Chris, he moved in with Tabby and had claimed Janelle's old bedroom as his new office. So after we told Janelle that she was going to have to move back in with her mom, um, she found out about this, you know, her room was no longer there. Um, it's each, I mean, you try to, I look back on these decisions that we made, I don't know if it was the right thing or not, the timing of it. I know it was good for us, but at the same time we had Janelle move out. And she now, now she was already frustrated when she had a room and now she's going back to live with her mom. She doesn't have a bedroom anymore. So that didn't go out, that didn't work, go so well. She found out and it just set off a series of arguments. Um, and at one point, one point it got so bad that I was asked to come over and help with the issue they were having. It ended up being a really good conversation and resulted in a breakthrough for the two of them. Um, or so it seemed. Unfortunately, things seemed to just get worse. And Janelle ended up moving in with her boyfriend in an apartment by the time, and by that time she was 18, so she didn't move with her grandparents, she didn't move away, but she it didn't work out, her going back. You know, I had this picture of, you know, it had been enough time, we'd done good, and she was gonna, everything was gonna be great. It didn't work out. She moved out. Um, I only talked to Janelle a few times over the next year, but I had regular conversations with Tabby. Um, we had Janelle over for dinner once. We moved into our new house, and things seemed okay with her and Tabby, but only because they rarely talked, so. At this point, it would seem that everything we had done had been for nothing, right? If we just look at the results, friend Michael on the street, Janelle, no relationship with her mom, living with her boyfriend, no tangible results. So at the beginning of last summer, Tabby contacted me saying she had something important to ask me. At that time, Tabby and Chris were engaged, so I had a feeling I might know what she was going to ask, but at the same time, I doubted the notion because it seemed kind of crazy. It's one of those things where I was like, I think I know, but no way. There's no way no one would ask me to do that. So um, over the course of Tabby and Chris's relationship, I was there on several occasions to help them through several arguments and tough conversations regarding Janelle, Tabby's mother, and their relationship. And I ended up being right in my assumption. Tabby and Chris asked me to officiate their wedding. And to my surprise, I found out that Tabby had reached out to Janelle and asked her to be the maid of honor. Sorry, she said yes, and Janelle was now 19 years old. So about two and a half years had, had, had transpired from 
the moment we took Janelle in to the moment that um, she became that big part of her wedding. So it's crazy enough that I got asked to officiate a wedding because, I mean, I don't know. Fortunately, I was able to have the elder board and, you know, we talked it over because they're not believers. So I really felt, I was like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing here. Like, I, I don't want to compromise what I believe. I don't want to, like, bless this union without, And but David, you know, he's like, he told me basically it's better that for them to be married than not married. You know what I mean? Like they're not like anti-Jesus. They're more of just like whatever, you know. Your thing is cool, your thing is cool. It's all the same thing kind of thing. But at the same time, I've definitely been able to reach Tabby because um, I haven't compromised Jesus. I've given her everything to the point to where she feels kind of weird sometimes. She's like, I don't even know what to say about this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but it's the truth, you know. Like, um, so the cool part, this is what I did not expect, and this is what I'm saying. Like, you, you think you're failing because cause we base it on what happens versus I'm just, I know why I'm doing this, and I'm not waiting for the outcome. I know my motive. It's why. Why am I doing this? And if I don't change, it's bound to change. Jesus came and had the perfect motive, right? And because he didn't change, he's changing men today. Because he never changed, he's changing men today. So at the wedding reception, Janelle stood at the microphone to give her famous maid of honor speech. Instead, she asked where I was and if I could come forward. She then, in front of everyone, gave me and Kami the most heartfelt word of appreciation for everything we had done for her. It's just like, I just still, I feel the way I felt because I was so like surprised, right? I'm expecting, you just don't know what's going on in people. Really, You really just don't know, you know what I mean? And sometimes I don't really feel like it matters in a sense. Like that's not what I need to continue to love people. But man, is it such an awesome feeling when you know what people are going through. And that like, you can lay your life down for somebody in a sense. Because me and Kami would have conversations like, I just know she'll look back one day and she'll realize like how much we loved her and like, like all the stuff that we did. It's hard to see it in the moment when she's struggling with all the stuff with her mom, and and all the stuff that she's dealing with. It's you just it's really hard to acknowledge and appreciate things that people do for you. But when you get older, you have the ability. I really believe through the Holy Spirit to be reminded of things, bring those things to remind to to be reminded like yeah you are loved. You are loved. They see you. They know you. Like, and then to realize that to the point to where like she like has to say something in front of everybody. I was like, what the heck? Are you serious? It was so amazing. I didn't need that though. But man, did it feel good, you know? So like I said, I mean, motive it, to me is everything. Like. It's about love, you know, love never fails. It really doesn't. It's never again about failing. It's about not loving. 
So if we're loving, then we can't possibly be failing. I mean, really, if we're loving with the love of God through Jesus Christ, with the capacity to just be so misunderstood, to be called, to have your good be called evil, to suffer for doing good, if we're really loving with that power, how can we fail? Death can't even hold love down. Death cannot even take away the power of love. It literally raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it didn't just raise Jesus, it sent him to the fathers and then he poured out the Holy Spirit for everyone to receive, to love the same exact way. So, I mean, this story is like, it's not the most like amazing fairy tale story in a sense in every aspect of it. Um, but it was a big deal for us in our life to where we had an opportunity to like really like go through something, not just have an encounter, which those things are important, but have like an encounter at the store or, or you know, but like a long kind of enduring like thing, you know, where it's like you really find out what you believe. Because I, I definitely struggled. Me and Kami struggled. But the only reason I really believe that we struggled is because we picked up our rights again. We picked up our rights for the, for the time being. When I would struggle, it's because I picked up my rights to be a certain way, to feel a certain way, instead of laying it down. And really, really laying it down and saying, this, is, this time is for you. And it's, you know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I didn't, we didn't do everything perfect. You know, we made mistakes, but we always, we always came to the point to where we apologize and we always were there to, to admit it, you know. That's the hard part, I think, is I think is, you know, you're a Christian and you have this opportunity that there comes this perspective or this pressure to, to live as Jesus. The only way they're going to know is if I walk perfectly. I can't make any mistakes. And that's the difference. It's like Jesus never made any mistakes, but we still can, right? But then, but then there has to come a place of humility to admit those things and to really be sincere. And like that is impactful, especially on kids. You know, like that really stays with people and then we teach them that, you know, and like, and I mean, I saw Janelle and, and Michael were both as kids, you know, that didn't know their father, you know? So like, so it's important, you know, it's, it's important to not be ashamed if you make a mistake, if you have, you know, something, some situation in your life where you feel like you need to be Jesus, but at the same time you made mistakes. Don't think you're a hypocrite. The fact that you care means that you're changed. You know, the fact that you actually don't want to be that way means that that's not who you are. It means that the reality of who you are is the thing that's saying, ooh, that bothers me, ooh, that doesn't feel right. It's because it's not right. Where did that come from? How could, you how could you possibly be bothered by something unless it didn't belong, unless you weren't made clean? Because before, like Stefan, like Stefan had said, you know, I say all the time, there was a time in your life where the thing that you did didn't bother you. Or being angry or being envious or being jealous or being selfish when those things just were second nature they didn't bother you but now these things they bother us because we've been changed and we ought to rejoice in that God's real he actually can change human beings people say oh you know no one ever no one ever really changes right you know nobody nobody can really change right you can't change I'll tell you what in about two weeks here less than two weeks I'm gonna be celebrating ten years clean and sober Can you picture me as a heroin addict? Can any, like, be honest, can you picture me doing those crazy things? 
It's because it's not me. It never was. It never was me to begin with. Man, because, oh, man, the love of God is so amazing. I've experienced all kinds of feelings, and it, nothing compares to the Holy Spirit, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Nothing compares to that. And I just, I just want that for everybody. And I really believe that it's not that hard. It's really just becoming like a little child and receiving the kingdom. That's all it takes. It's not complicated. Yeah, the word of God is so complicated. I understand this. But Jesus, the red letters, you could just stay there for a while and become those. You'd be doing pretty well. You'd be doing pretty good, I believe, if you just stayed there. Not that you can't read the rest of it, but man, there's some good stuff in those red letters. If you don't have a red letter Bible, then I don't know what to say. So my question, you know, is what do you believe is possible now that he came? You know, after today. If nothing's changed, then that's okay, you know what I mean? But like, what, what do you believe is possible? Just ask yourself that. What do I believe is possible now that Jesus has come, now that he's given me the Holy Spirit, what do I really believe when I read the Bible and he says the things that he says where he's really just transferring ownership of Holy Spirit? He's giving us the same power. He's giving us the same ability. What do I believe about that? If I'm honest, maybe I don't believe it. But do you want to? Then there you go. All I'm asking today is if there's a ceiling over your head, just take it off. Just take it off. You don't have to fly. You don't have to be way up here, soaring in the heavens. Just take off the ceiling. That's all God wants us to do, is just take off the ability to say, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. Just say, you know what? If the Bible says that I can do that, and there's people in my life that have been changed, then it has to be true for me. And then I can walk in the fullness just as Jesus walked.